0: Hi, um, my name is Louis-Pierre Zignac, President and CEO of G Mining Ventures, and uh, we're very busy building that Tocantinzinho you know, mine in Brazil.
1: Louis-Pierre, thank you very much for the introduction. Um, good to be talking to you. I'm um, really excited about this. There's lots I want to know about the company, but uh, expand on that, if, if you will. You're, you're, you're building the TZ mine, the Tocantinzinho to- mine. Uh, mine i can see why you've abbreviated it to tz when did you start and where have you got to
0: yeah so essentially we made an official construction decision in september last year um so we've been building since and um you know uh at this stage we're we're about 25 percent complete in terms of uh construction we've done over uh, 1.2 million man hours on the project already so it gives you a a bit of scale in terms of this project and you know, it is going to be the third largest primary gold mine in Brazil when we're done. So it's it is a, a large scale project.
1: It's proven to be a very difficult time to get things um, built and costed and financed because there have been so many kind of moving um, goalposts. It comes the, the the datum line has has been shifting around. Um, how did you fix your capex for your estimates, and how are you um, managing that process of, kind of trying to stick to the estimates that you had made?
0: Yeah. Well, look, the, 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 like you say, it, it's always a, a tricky thing where you come out with a study uh, that has a certain estimate. And by the time you get it financed to make a decision, there's sometimes a, a, a long lag that happens. Um, so we've been very successful in keeping momentum in our progression with the project. So we had a very fresh estimate to start with when we uh, made that construction decision. So we're not trying to play catch up uh, with our estimate and so far, we're tracking really well uh, against the feasibility study budget that we published. And you know, as, as we speak, you know, we're essentially 172 million spent on the project with 280 million committed uh, out of uh, a feasibility study budget of, of, call it 460. So you know, we, we're well under control in terms of uh, all the major capital expenditures that, that we needed to do and um, you know, I'd say. We are actually seeing inflation come down on many things, uh, so we, we we're not very concerned with uh, with our capex budget at the moment, um, and it really boils down to execution and and completing the project on time at this point.
1: I was, I was going to ask you know which of are the areas where you see is there still inflation? Is it in labor prices? It's um and and, and... Given the strong inflation of the past two years, that maybe there's a chance for some deflation. You know, are, there, are there some areas where you're seeing... I mean, you mentioned it. Perhaps you could be a little bit more specific.
0: Yeah, I mean, when we did our feasibility study budget, that was before the, the war broke out. So, I mean, uh, we were seeing pretty low fuel prices when we did our feasibility study. Uh, and, you know, those have gone up uh, since, since then. So we, we've seen inflation for, on energy, uh, well, fuel in particular, but when it comes to steel, uh, cement, and in other consumables, we've seen those generally generally come down. Um, so for example, most of the major processing equipment and mining equipment that we purchased have, have come on really within budget. Um, and it's really more a question of lead times and making sure things show up on time as, as expected. So for our project, uh, and it is typical of most projects, the grinding circuit is it's really our critical path. Um, so those pieces of equipment, uh, several of them are coming out of China uh, for the grinding circuit. Um, so that's something we're tracking very closely to make sure uh, you know things come out of factory as planned and we, we get the, the logistics right and get it to site. So that that's going well. Um, on our construction side, we're pouring concrete for the construction, uh, for the grinding circuit. Uh, so we'll be ready to to start installing those equipment uh, when they arrive. So that's really what we're tracking to make sure we uh, finish the project on time and, and uh, as planned.
1: Um, I, I had the, the, the privilege of working in Brazil uh, a while back. And one of the things that really struck me was the ability... Uh, of Brazil to kind of almost feel like a country in itself or kind of a world in itself, because it's such a huge country and, um, Portuguese is spoken so little outside of Brazil. Um, I almost feel that, um, there was a of there were industries, there were huge companies within Brazil that I hadn't even heard of, um, to be these giant companies. Um, what was the decision to kind of get stuff out of china rather than or to source it in brazil yeah. to look at p- kind of purchasing within brazil was that was that a an option that you studied
0: oh yeah and and like you know, when i mentioned china to be honest there's very few things that we're buying outside of, outside of brazil i'd say almost 70% of what we're procuring for the project is is from brazil including a lot of processing equipment but when you're purchasing grinding circuits from metso udutech who does have manufacturing bases in uh, just outside Sao Paulo. Uh, There's several components that are in country, but others that are um, manufactured outside. But to your point, uh, we're quite amazed with uh, the availability of just about anything we want in Brazil. Um, And that facilitates logistics. You know, it's just a question of trucking it to site. Uh, This project has often been uh, referred to as being remote and difficult to access and yes, I think for many years, going back fifteen years, it was. Uh, nowadays, it's uh, it's a paved highway and and uh, an upgraded road that we, you know, upgraded where we, in the first quarter of this year, we had a thousand truckloads of uh, uh, goods and supplies getting into site. So it's uh, it, it is a site that's easy to get to, and uh, anything manufactured in Brazil just gets to site by road. And um, but it does, it can take two weeks because it's such a large country, right?
1: It's funny you mentioned uh, fifteen years ago because actually. I was working in Brazil fifteen fifteen years ago, two thousand and eight two thousand and nine, or was it two thousand and nine two thousand and ten anyway around that time when I was there, it really felt as if the infrastructure was much much better than it had been before. you know I was working with geologists um, who had been exploring in the '70s and 80s and we were going to places and they were just they couldn 't believe that the roads and the infrastructure um, had reached as far as it was but um, anyway, it 's it's obvious that that has uh, continued operating in Brazil. Um, there are it's always difficult operating in a new country I mean how, how do you plan to get stuff done on time I mean what, what what are the what are your things that you watch like a hawk to make sure that you stick to your timelines well
0: I mean one thing for sure is um, and and for any project you want to make sure you can hire all the the people that you actually need and and have the qualifications required to, to do the work properly In You know when we look at our experience so far we we started with uh actually 30 people in brazil when we bought the project um and now since we're in full construction mode uh we're actually up to 1700 people on the project uh which is a mix of employees and and contractors um so i think what that shows is that like we have the ability to find the people we need to get the work done and that that's a very important part um so we're, we're quite happy with that we're happy with the team that we're building And, you know, I'd say with the the approach that we have to building, which is actually a self perform model, we're very much responsible for the the actual construction workers, and we have the ability to keep the best ones and the most competent ones after for for the operation. Uh, So I think we have a leg up on uh, getting ready for operations, um, and we're building that team as we speak. And, you know, the mine will, is running now already on night shift uh, at the moment, so we're, continuing to wrap up the mining team and we're getting additional equipment commission. Uh, so all that is going, going quite well. That is really the exact-
1: How many people have you brought from your previous um, previous build?
0: It, it's funny that you say that. I mean, I'd say on, on previous projects, we had a lot more expats uh, from, from Canada and now other places. Um, because Brazil has such good skill sets in country, a lot of mining expertise, uh, right now, I think we're close to about 80 expats uh, from different jurisdictions. And what is remarkable given our track record of building in other countries is we're bringing in, for example, Ecuadorians, um, Surinamese, Guyanese uh, to be our, call it South American expat now uh, on, on this project. So it's it's a small contingent, uh, but people that we've worked with on other projects, they know how we work and how to, how to get things done. So it's... Uh, um, and you know they provide training and in, in context for uh, for the new people on the project.
1: Historically, when I look at projects that are that are delayed and have cost overruns and um, exceed budget, they typically they're incorporating some degree of change of scope. You know something is changing from the feasibility study, either in terms of the mineral processing, the, the metallurgy, or the geotechnics, or the um, uh, some there's there's some factor that changes the scope which introduces delay and have you seen any change of scope so far, and can you see are there likely to be any changes of scope?
0: you know we're we're advanced quite a bit now, and one thing that always kind of can can happen in projects is you 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 know you obviously do geotechnical work to understand the foundations and the soils you're dealing with to uh, build infrastructure on. Um, so, you know, we've done a lot of the vegetation suppression, all, all, all the infrastructure we need to build on, and we haven't had surprises of having poor ground or difficult ground to work with. Um, we've cleared the foundation for the tailing uh, dam that we need to build. Um, and so we're we're seeing what we're having to deal with. So no no real surprises uh, expected. Um, and I'd say, you know, we've thought the project out quite well. There's not a lot of, you know, surprises where we said, oh, well, we've, you know we should have built this into the project that we, we didn't hadn't planned for it originally so um so so far not very many surprises and you know given the context of permitting and you know you don't want to be introducing changes to projects once you're in the construction phase uh but you know one thing i would say is yes we we're we're seeing how we're optimizing things as we build uh mostly to try and save money on on terms of direct costs but also schedule-wise uh, so that's really our, our objective in terms of changes, is to really build in uh, some savings um, as as we execute.
1: Um, thank you. I was expecting a but all the way along there. I was expecting to... Uh, <laughs> I was waiting.
0: Well, uh, for example, uh, a butt is, you know, when you're building a project in the Amazon, I would say you need three things. Uh, you need chicken, you need rice, and you need rock. And and, and the rock part is to, to get, you know, all your roads rocked in and have the ability to... Uh, get yourself out of the mud and, and uh, the difficult ground conditions and so we were delayed in getting our blasting permit for example um, so that created some delays for the mine to be efficient uh, but now we've since gotten our blasting permit and have been blasting rocks and we've seen our mining rate to really crank up uh, and, and do better so you know that's for example one hiccup that we had but Something that easily we work around in our schedule and, and planning
1: that's interesting you talk about the rock. I, a friend of mine um, a, a geologist took some time off and he traveled into, right into the kind of the heart of the Amazon and met some of um, the, the the more primitive tribes and one of the pride's possessions, which was kind of carefully wrapped up and looked after, was a rock for sharpening the tools I mean it was because so hard to find in the Amazon. Let's look at um, the valuation of the company. You know, you, your market capitalization is above five hundred million dollars Canadian now. In in your presentation, uh, which is relatively recent on, on 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 the web, I think you were just you wrote it when the share price was a bit lower and you were just under um, five hundred million dollars. Um, you kind of added ten percent since that since the presentation um, went live. In there, you talk about the uh, developer average. Uh, trading at kind of 0.5 of NAV and the producer average trading at 0.8 of NAV. Um, you know, do you still see yourself undervalued and kind of looking to close that gap, or or kind of are you there or thereabouts? Given the kind of the recent rise in the share price.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think we still have lots of room to call it close that gap, um, and and that gap exists because for developers there's still risk in terms of executing and and delivering on that value. Um, but when I look at where the gold price is, call it, you know, 2,000 uh, bucks, I looked at our feasibility study NPV and we're easily in the range of a billion U.S. Um, definitely I see that as being uh, the target that we have going forward in terms of valuation. Um, and, you know, maybe putting a 0.8, uh factor to that, um, when I look at all the uh, analyst estimates, the uh, consensus estimates, you know, price targets uh, generally around two, two in excess of two dollars so definitely I, I see us as having room to attain that value uh, in in the market
1: now, now these things don't always go in a straight line and um d- just just having a look at the kind of the the lasonde curve and um, crux analysts have kind of done a deep dive on this and i've had a look at that report and one of the things that i, I um, can see from that is that when a company goes into, when it gets financed and, it, um, and it goes into construction, it goes on a wonderful share price run, which is what you've done. But typically as you get closer to the, um, to the kind of the, the end point of, 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 um, commissioning, you know, your balance sheet is kind of slightly, um, you you've, you've, you've spent the money on the plant, but we don't actually know that it works yet. And so quite often it kind of gives, gives back that value in in a, over a six to eight month period before it then goes on a run again. And, and I actually, um, one of the examples that was used in that analysis was Lundin gold with Fruta. Um So even though it, it kind of went up, it actually comes back down almost to the same point and then kind of goes on a, on a wonderful tear when the, when the, the operation really comes, comes through. And I think that's the balance of kind of um, still got that execution challenge and that technical risk. Do you, what are you? What are you going to do if 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 that comes? You know, how are you going to protect your head mentally from kind of worrying about the share price?
0: Well, look, I I think it's just uh, continuing to deliver on our plan and making the progress that we've done. Uh, that that's our objective. That's what we control. Um, but I'd say to your point, I think what everyone wants to see is there's two things. I think it you know you said you were going to build for a certain price or a certain cost. Uh, you need to deliver on that, and you know many companies have had financing. Shortfalls where they've had to raise additional money to complete the projects. Uh, so that's kind of pitfall number one that we're trying to you know not not fall into, and you know some people you know you have to deal with that at some point if you do. so that that's one thing, and then once you do deliver and you get this thing running, everyone wants to see how it performs uh, if it performs as planned. um so it's it's really demonstrating the the ramp up uh, making sure that ramps up uh, quickly according to to schedule. Um, and, you know, that's been our experience with other assets that the G-Mining Services team has built and FRUTA being one of them. It, it's really making sure that that commissioning phase happens well and that you start generating cash flow uh, quickly as planned. Um, so that that's our objective. And I think with our model of self-performing, our construction team is there to support the operations team and, and allow that ramp up to occur as planned. Uh, they're not buggering off with uh, uh, and you know handing the keys over to the operator, wishing them good luck that that doesn 't really happen with our model um so that I think as you say in in, a, in the very early stages of startup um it 's really the commissioning phase and proving that recoveries are there that the throughputs are there um so that 's going to be our, our, our you know prime objective uh come come middle of next year
1: and forgive my ignorance but um what's the... them watch them. Um... Metallurgy looking like. Are you going to have to deal with a lot of clay material, and is it is there any metallurgical or mineralogical complexity?
0: Yeah, I mean we we have very little saprolite um, on our deposit, so uh, we typically are going to be processing rocks uh, straight from the get go. Um, the saprolite and the what we call the artisanal miner tailings that still have good gold gold grades, uh, we will trickle in to the to to the feed. In, in small quantities, and it's more for material handling issues than, than anything else. Um, so yeah, we, we're very much close to rock, uh, it comes up very close to surface, so we, uh, we essentially are feeding hard rocks straight away into the plant. And you know, with our pre-production mining plant, um, we'll have in excess of two million tons of water in front of the plant before we start. So we'll have a, a lot of flexibility in terms of uh, that ramp up there.
1: The next th- kind of question that's going to come up, I'm sure, as you go through commissioning is, is what next? What do you do next? Um, and you you say in your presentation that kind of MA is a is a key feature. But I'm kind of slightly, I was also struck by the the exploration slide in your, in, in, in your presentation. And uh, also the, I've got kind of the words of um, Freeport McMorran going around in my head and saying that they're actually focused on brownfields exploring you know that they where they see the best bang for the buck is exploring around the margins of their existing operations because that's better deliver of um, shareholder value than necessarily going out and looking for um tra- you know transformational copper deals which is kind of quite a scarce landscape but maybe the gold landscape is also quite scarce
0: no i look uh, definitely there's the two fronts that are going to be important for us um as you say, we, exploration will be, become more of a focus for us um, as we, you know, get out of the, the heavy construction phase, uh, but definitely with the land package that we have that is quite extensive with, you know, 996 square kilometers of, of exploration property, when you look at our land package um, with the TZ deposit being kind of square in the middle, uh, we have about 35 kilometers of strike length along that TZ trend. Which is going to be, you know, prime hunting ground for us uh, to find additional deposits. So right now, our our budget is, I would say, more on the limited side uh, until we reach commercial production and can generate our own cash flow to support exploration. But what we're doing now is is really the groundwork um, in terms of soil geotech, geophysics, uh, some drilling, uh, to better identify targets to really start major exploration activities down the road. Uh, but definitely when we look at the region, we see a lot of upside has, has to your point.
1: That work hasn't been done. You don't, you haven't inherited a kind of a, a kind of a pretty solid database.
0: So there was some work done in the past uh, by El Dorado. And I'd say, you know, they, they they stopped drilling in 2015 and weren't really investing in the property uh, going back many years. Um, so there, there wasn't a, a ton of drilling on the property. And when we look at it, when we bought the property, there was 82,000 meters of drilling for that land package, 45 kilometers of which was to define the ore bottom. Um So just, just about a hundred holes scattered around the property uh, looking for the next things, which is, which is very limited given the size of the, this land package. So we're just kind of having to complement that work that was done in the past with additional soil juve chem that was never done on many sections of, of the property. Um, so it's really that groundwork that we're doing now that we feel will just help us spend more wisely uh, looking for uh, additional deposits. And, you know, I'd say the objective, in, as, as any good miner, is to at least replenish reserves once you start operating, but really to look for uh, another deposit that can then sweeten the grade or provide for an opportunities. And, and it'll be very uh, value value added to to, to the business for sure.
1: It's been a really really tough year for well, a couple of years for junior um, uh, mining. Um, from um, from where I'm sitting, it feels as if there are lots of unfunded or underfunded development companies which have got resources but are kind of slightly s- stuck in a dilution trap. Um, that the spending that's required to take it to the next stage, whether it's from pre-feasibility to feasibility or from feasibility to to construction those 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 capital lumps are too great um so it feels as if there are lots of bargains out there does it feel like that to you are you um uh, do you feel as if you're in an opportunity rich environment
0: yeah I, I think there is quite a few opportunities um and we're doing lots of uh, call it MA activity in in the sense that we're looking for other assets to acquire because i mean we don't want to be a single asset producer in, in the long term uh, so we're very much interested in buying additional assets that we can develop or, you know, operating mines that have optimization opportunities. And, and you know, to your point, there's, there's several projects out there that are essentially underfunded, but also where, in terms of high quality assets, I, I would say there's generally few. So it's looking at what you can do to make them better. Does it doesn't require additional exploration or better engineering to refine capex estimates? Um, so we, we yeah, we do feel there is opportunity and you know, we're looking at additional assets in Brazil, um, but also in South America in general and that's say in, in Canada as well. Those are generally the jurisdictions that fit um our targets and where we wanna try and operate and have the skill sets to do well. And so yeah, we're we're quite active on that front.
1: What's what are your kind of personal uh um favorites or um kind of things which don't i mean do, do you look at grade do, do you kind of say oh anything less than a gram and a half it's not for you or um do, do, uh, what particularly annoys you
0: um look it, it, there are several things uh definitely you, you need a minimum scale i think to be efficient uh, in terms of capex and in making a project viable and so when i look at things it's generally 100 hun- is getting on the small side for what how we operate and how we do things. So I'd say 150 is, is the nice sweet spot to 250 is the range where typically we're not competing. is thousands
1: of ounces of production per annum.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. And so any larger than that that we're competing with seniors and you know, larger companies that have maybe more money to throw at buying things. Um, so that is where we see a nice sweet spot for now um, in terms of what we look for. But yes, I'd say... We see many assets that have okay grade, but strip ratios that are very, very high. We're we're obviously looking at all those factors that uh, will make a project viable. And and anything that we want to get into, we want to have momentum with, in the sense that there is at least a starting resource, maybe some uh, technical work on it that we can keep adding to and, and quickly get down a path where we can build. And obviously that has to be in jurisdictions where we feel permitting a project is, is, is you know, not going to take 10 years. Um, and in environments where communities want to have these, these projects built. Um, so those are the factors that we look at uh, when we're looking at M&A opportunities.
1: That's really interesting because um, I've been sitting with Matt. We've been trying to kind of work out, you know, which, which projects, which companies do we want to look at? What What are the factors that really... Uh, attract us and the, the, the couple of the things that I talk about are scale and grade and momentum you know can you actually advance a project you know are you stuck for some reason and um, it's it's reassuring to me to hear that you're using exactly the same uh, language
0: and and you know when we look back at why PZ or token was attractive to us is we we saw all those ingredients um, in this proter. um so I don't actually expect to fall on another project that's fully permitted or that has very limited you know permitting efforts to be done, I mean we do expect that'll have have to happen on a, on a next project but um we want to make sure it's in a jurisdiction where we can uh, that the timeline is, is more or less known uh if you do the proper work and uh consultation and documentation that you can you can get there um, so that's very much important for us we we're we're we know the mining world is—it's a long, ti- long time to get things done, but we're also very impatient. We like to move fast, and uh, we like to to be building things and, and growing the business. So those are very important to
1: us. And hopefully, in a year, you'll—the um, well plan is within a year, you'll have—you'll have a different uh, kind of balance sheet position because you'll be accruing capital rather than um, uh, uh, investing it.
0: Absolutely, and you know we're we're happy with call it our, our relative share performance in the market. I think we've been doing lots of uh, meetings with potential investors. I think what they appreciate in, in our company is, yes, we have a great asset, but I think what they appreciate is our ability to, to do things and to, to advance quickly. And our call it in-house capability is quite unique. You know, I think it's very different from other developing uh, state companies. So I think that that's attractive, and you know that'll give us the balance sheet and the paper to uh, do do the next deals.
1: Um, talking about um, the shareholder register, you've got quite a lot of um, strategics in there. You know, you've got La Mancha up at twenty five percent, and Franco Nevada at just under ten percent, and uh, El Dorado eighteen percent. Does that worry you having those strategics there? I mean, what I mean, I know you've got um, quite a good chunk of institutions as well. But um, what, what, what are the strategics? What do they tell you about their long term goals for? Um G mining.
0: I, I'd say these strategics we have uh, starting with La Mancha at twenty five percent. I mean, the attraction for us was the fact that they wanna be part of the story of building this company and growing the company over time. So for us they're they allies as much as, as investors in uh in, in helping us grow this business. Uh so we're very much happy to to have them on board. Um I'd say it a bit a bit similar with Franco, uh Nevada where you know, we, as part of our shareholder agreement, uh, so long as they hold uh, 5% equity interest, they have a, a right of first offer on any future royalties that we do on the next project. So given our aggressiveness to do other things, I mean, we do see them as, as allies to, to help us grow. Um, and, you know, they're looking for royalties, but we're looking for financing. So definitely a, a nice fit uh, for both companies. Um, and when it comes to El Dorado, I mean, I, I think, when they sold the assets, um, it was more for them to refocus on the assets that were in their portfolio that they wanted to focus on. Um, and they're quite happy to, I mean, for the time being, at least, to to see us re-rate and do well with this, with the Tocantino asset. So we don't feel like they're looking to dump the stock. We also have a, a shareholder rights agreement where we can place those shares with other investors. Uh, So that can be done orally uh, when the time comes as well. So, but yeah, so far, we're happy to have their support as we keep uh, advancing the Tuckington Kino project.
1: Just to wrap up, um, how are you going to disseminate news for the rest of the year? I mean, are you you planning to do it in kind of quarterlies or is is it just going to be... um... You know, um what what's your philosophy or the the, the board of plan on on how you're going to tell the story for the rest of the year
0: yeah i think generally what we're looking to do is is provide kind of quarterly updates so that there's at least a, a, no a meaningful uh progress to speak about in terms of press releases um you know, with our corporate presentations we try to update that at least monthly to show uh the monthly progress that we're doing uh keep our investors informed of of, of that progress on a on a fairly tight basis um, when it comes to exploration, we'll we'll see if there's there's like meaningful things to be disclosed um, as we move along. But like I said, it's a lot of it's baseline work that we're doing. Um, I'd say you know there's certain things that uh, that we're doing that uh, in terms of putting agreements in place, uh, in terms of supply contracts that speak more to our operating cost structure that's going forward. Uh so we'll likely uh, be uh, communicating some of that as well as we as we move forward. Um, that that give a little perspective in terms of uh, you know power supply agreement uh, and, and things of of that nature.
1: Okay, so so that would kind of be the almost like the kind of the, the numbers that would accompany the monthly photograph update, photographic update in the corporate presentation. So if you get something which gives kind of granularity on numbers you'd put that out
0: correct yeah we do that uh, obviously on, the, on a frequent basis in terms of our invested amounts or committed amounts uh on the project and you know what we've done as well as we've done site visits with uh with our analysts and certain investors um uh, so we think that's also very useful uh to be bringing people to play for them to see uh, with their own eyes how we're how we're progressing so that'll likely happen uh, a few times as well during during the construction process.
1: Louis-Pierre, thank you very much. It's been a, a pleasure talking to you and getting to know uh, the project a bit more.
0: i think he with you. Thanks a lot for having me.